Good day, friends, and thank you for tuning in to our weekly Bible study. Um, as we're going to share today around a particular passage from the Old Testament, I want to do draw our attention and just remind us that as we come uh, together as Christians uh, to share in our Bible studies, that we always do it in our own context. Yes, the passages that we share come from their own context, but we we read the scriptures not in an empty void or a vacuum, but we read them uh, in our own times and our own context. And the reason why I'm saying that is because this week uh, in the Western Cape, we have been impacted greatly by the taxi strikes. And, um, you know, depending on, on how you view the situation, it's caused a lot of anxiety and fear for many people. Um, people are not able to get to work, people are not able to get to school or to hospitals. Um, and so, you know, one begins to, to reflect on these things, to pray about them, um, but also to try and seek answers. And we don't always get easy answers in these situations. We were called together on Tuesday, it was, as, as ministers within our district to join an early early morning prayer meeting with our bishop. And she read a passage, uh, which I'm going to read for us today, and then just to reflect on, um, because it was quite interesting for me. Um, and it comes from the Old Testament prophet, the Old Testament prophet called Habakkuk. And uh, he has three very short chapters um, that are recorded for us in the Bible, but um, they leave a lot of, I think, <laughs> a lot of, um, room for reflection in our own lives and our own faith. So while I'm praying, that's just the context of where we're going to start from today, just to invite you to take out your Bibles and a notebook and pen, and then let us pray together. So Lord God, we offer to you this time um, as we reflect on the scriptures. Lord, we thank you that your word is able to bring hope and peace, joy, and wisdom into our present times. We believe that, Lord Jesus Christ, you are the light of our world. And so despite what is happening around us, we pray that you would just remind us that you are God and we are not. And so we bring to you today our hopes and dreams, our thoughts, our questions, all the things that we wrestle with, and we pray that you would surround us with your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start by reading from chapter 1 of Habakkuk. And um, just to note as we read this, I'm, I'm actually not going to get too far even into chapter 1 today, probably only the first 10 or 11 verses. But it's the style of the the writing is that Habakkuk shares his complaint with God, and then uh, what follows after that is the Lord's reply to his complaint. Now, we are talking about the context of this particular prophet, Habakkuk, his ministry being about 640 BC. So what has happened um, about 80 years prior to this is Israel, the kingdom of Israel, has fallen into the hands of the enemy. Now, at this time, remember that the king, the, the, um, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, uh, 
the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. So Israel had already fallen, and uh, the Judean kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, was going to fall round about 586 BC, so we know that from history. So Habakkuk is ministering as a prophet between these two times. Um, so let's just say 640, it's a little bit easier to round off like that. So um, what, what he is complaining about, which you will see very clearly now, is, is that it just seems unfair that the wicked are seeming to prosper. And he's calling on God and saying, you know, God, why are you allowing this to happen? You know, we are your people. You have called us into this land. Um, and, and how much longer must we carry on crying to you before, before you intervene? So when, when I read these words, if, if you are experiencing what's happening in the Western Cape at the moment, you may be able to say, gee, those are words that I'm feeling or these are words that I am praying to God. Uh, um, and they could equally be words that you've prayed at some other point in your life where we feel that we are in the right and others are in the wrong. Now, obviously, as we say that, we, we, we wrestle with this because it's easy to put our little blinkers on and to believe that we are always in the right. But, but just li listen to it and then you'll see, see what I'm saying. So Habakkuk chapter 1. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received from the Lord in a vision. His complaint, we start from verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see the sin and misery all around me? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and useless, and there is no justice given in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, and justice is perverted with bribes and trickery. So we'll just stop there and to say, do, you, do those words sound familiar at all for you? If not in this present time, at some other point in your life where we feel, Lord, you know, we're calling out to you. It just looks like there's destruction and violence around us. And we are surrounded by people that love to argue and fight. Um, the, the justice system we have in the land uh, seems to be paralyzed. The wicked seem to far outnumber the righteous and we just seem to be going you know deeper into a spiral of sin and destruction so it's interesting that like i say the context of this remember 640 years give or take before jesus and now we fast forward that to our own time 2023 years um, post the birth of christ and yet we can find these words still having significance in our own time. And so the point I want to make here is that I think that these words go beyond our own generation and even the generation of Habakkuk. They sum up the plight of humanity, is that since the creation of the world until God eventually wraps up um, the world completely, at, at the second coming of Christ, there will be times in our history where, where we feel like this, where we feel that all we see around us is sin and misery 
And we say, Lord, where are you in the midst of this? What we see then in this particular book from the prophet is we see God replies. And verse 5 says, The Lord replied, Look at the nations and be amazed. Watch and be astounded at what I will do. For I am doing something in your own day, something that you won't believe, even if someone told you about it. Now, friends, I'm going to stop there at the end of verse 5 and to say that this tone, if you like, suddenly becomes a tone of hope. Um, certainly the answer itself from the Lord seems to indicate that God is on the job and he's going to do something. But he says to Habakkuk and he says to you and I in our own time, listen, uh, I hear you, uh, I've been watching and I am going to respond, but you know, even if I told you what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it, you wouldn't believe it because it's going to be something that's completely from left field. Now, that just that point in itself, I think, reminds myself, um, and I'm sharing it, and maybe you also feel the same, just to remind myself that, that God's ways are not my ways, that I would cry out to God and I come back to the present issues with the taxi strikes. I I cry out and I'm saying, Lord, surely this is the answer because I think I have the answer. And and God is replying and saying, in my ways are not your ways. Uh, We hold on to the background understanding that God is always just. God is always fair. God is always on the side of those who are marginalized and and those who who are downtrodden. This is the story all the way from the Israelites um, in Egypt, even into the New Testament, we see this. And so we have to believe that Christ is always on the side, or God is always on the side of those um, who, are, who are seeking justice. We struggle with how long God seems to wait before he dishes out his own form of justice, but we have to hold on to that. So God is saying, look, I am... I'm on it. I, I will do the right thing. Now, now that in itself is a word of reassurance, and we could probably end the Bible study today by saying that we hold on to that. Um, it's tempting for, for man and woman to seek our own revenge and our own ways, but ultimately it's God's plan that will be the best for seeking resolution to, to all situations in our lives. But then, so like I said, if we stop there, that would make sense. But what comes after this is that God says something which is quite shocking to Habakkuk. He says, and I read from verse 6, I'm raising up the Babylonians to be a new power on the world scene. They are cruel and a violent nation who will march across the world and conquer it. They are notorious notorious for their cruelty. They do as they like and no one can stop them. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They are a fierce people, more fierce than wolves at dusk. Their horsemen race forward from distant places. Like eagles, they swoop down to pounce on their prey. On they come, all of them bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a wind from the desert, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their defenses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone. But they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. 
And I can imagine Habakkuk listening to this and thinking to himself, oh my goodness, it's going to go from bad to worse. I've called out to God saying, Lord, you know, all I see is this violence and destruction. Sort it out. Come and help us. How long must we call for your help? God says, verse 5, I hear you. Uh, Stand and watch. I'm going to do something that you've never even dreamt of. Habakkuk is thinking, okay, that's good. That's good. And then God replies from verse 6 all the way to verse 11 saying, I'm actually going to send the Babylonians. Now, if you have a map of um, that part of the world, you would see that Babylonia in this time was or it, it, it was located way to the east of Israel and Judah. Um, and Babylonia was a neighbor to Assyria. And, you know, a lot of these people were the ones conquering the Israelites, uh, coming back and forth, always seeking power. And so what, what God has simply said to Habakkuk is, listen, um, my answer is going to come from the Babylonians. They're going to come through. They're going to be probably even more violent, and they're going to just wreak havoc on, on the world. And Habakkuk's probably scratching his head saying, Lord, have you not heard that we already are in a place of violence and destruction and now you're going to be sending more violence and destruction? But verse 11 gives us a little clue, I believe, where he says, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. So so the Lord knows that the Babylonians themselves, pride is going to be their downfall. So for a time they will come in and they will rule over the kingdom of Judah. Um, but it is, it is that action that will drive the people of God, the Israelites, to God himself, again, through prayer, uh, through humility, um, because they would have lost their own source of strength, their human strength, and said, Lord, we need you. We, we, we've gone our own way, and we need, we need you. The Babylonians themselves would come in thinking that they are all-powerful, but it's that pride that ultimately would also lead to their own demise. Let's carry on with verse 12. It says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, is your plan in all of this to wipe us out? Surely not. O Lord, our rock, you have decreed the rise of these Babylonians to punish and to correct us for our terrible sins. You are perfectly just in this. But will you, who cannot allow sin in any form, stand idly by while they swallow us up? Should you be silent while the wicked destroy people who are more righteous than they? Are we but fish to be caught and killed? Are we but creeping things that have no leader to defend them from the enemies? Must we be strung up on their hooks and dragged about in their nets while they rejoice? Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with us forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? Now, of course, all the answers to that, the rhetorical questions and prayers from Habakkuk is no, God won't allow them to do that. But the reason why uh, I just bring to us this very intriguing chapter, the first chapter of Habakkuk, is because there are a lot of questions put by the prophet that don't have easy answers. Um, And... For the sake of our time today, I'm, I'm not going to try and give us glib answers to some of these um, really, really deep questions. 
because we ourselves living in our own times sometimes wonder whether God um, is even going to respond to our prayers when we seek justice when just as my own opinion I look at how um, the taxi industry seems to hold to ransom innocent people people who aren't able to get their medication because they can't catch a taxi uh, and if people try to arrange other transport they are treated violently and they are abused um, and so in my own mind and my own opinion I'm thinking to myself God how long will you allow that to happen and in the end I don't have an answer that really satisfies but I have to trust in the sovereignty of God um, because I believe that God is on the side of the innocent and that God's justice will prevail. Um, how God works it out and, and how the situation is resolved, and I'm, obviously I'm speaking about this particular situation, but it could be another situation in your life or the life of your family. We have to hold on to the promise that God's ways are not our ways. But in the end... By believing in God, we will be vindicated. There will be victory. There will be peace. And I suppose this points us back to the story of the cross, friends, that as Christians, we always look at what is happening in our world uh, in the light of the story um, of Holy Week, where the cross looks like defeat, where Jesus is beaten and he is crucified and he dies and he's buried. And then we think that is that. Think that God has forgotten and all is lost. But then we have the miracle of Easter Sunday, of the resurrection, where from the dead Christ is raised. And I think this is the message for us today. Um, if you were listening to this Bible study, hoping for me to give some pearls of wisdom like Solomon from last week as to as to why these things happen and all that. I, I'm sorry, I, I don't have that wisdom. But I have to rely on the fact that we can come to God in our prayers, just like we've been called to this week in this particular situation, but we are called to um, at other times in our lives, faced with obstacles, faced with situations that seem very bleak, we come to God and we say, Lord, we don't have easy answers, we don't have human understanding, but we come to you because we believe in your greatness. We believe that you are all-powerful. We believe that you are all-loving. We believe, Lord God, that you don't look at evil and just sit back and fold your arms, but that you want to work and you want to bring about peace and righteousness and goodness. And so friends, even as we say sometimes weekly, sometimes daily, the words of the Lord's Prayer, we are reminding ourselves that we may not have the adequate words or even the, the best laid out prayers to pray. But in the simplicity of the Lord's Prayer, we're asking for things that we believe God would want and that's because Jesus himself gave us the prayer you know so give us this day our daily bread may your kingdom 
come on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. And so it's all part of this very hard, challenging journey in a relationship with God that we have um, chosen to walk. Um, easy answers are not always available. And so I'm going to invite us to look again at Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can, you can read it again and just see if anything resonates with you. Um, what I'll do is I will, I will continue uh, through Habakkuk over the next two weeks so we can finish um, what he has started off and we'll see if we get any clearer um, answers from some of the complaints that were brought by, by Habakkuk. I want to just finish off with a prayer um, that, that I was yeah, privileged to, to stumble across um, during my sabbatical. Um, some of you who know the Book of Common Prayer would have come across this. It's just it's part of um, the the prayers for compline within the Anglican tradition. Um, but it's it's a prayer that I think is very helpful. And so let me pray this for us, and then I'll just have one announcement, and and we can end our our Bible study for today. So it goes like this. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night. And give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Jesus Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the afflicted. Shield the joyous. And all for your love's sake. Amen. And so we continue also, friends, to pray for uh, the situation in the Western Cape and for other issues and situations that plague our country and the world around us. Um, I think that we can echo the words of Habakkuk very often, um, and the world doesn't seem to have changed much over the last two and a half thousand years. But we continue to look to God, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So, friends, one announcement for us this week is if you're listening to this before the 16th of August, uh, which is going to be next Wednesday, 16th of August, um, I'm going to be just sharing part of our Camino experience in a presentation that will be at the church from 6 p.m. That's on Wednesday, the 16th of August. And you're all welcome to come and be part of that. And you can invite people who are also from outside our community. Just want to share part of our journey and show some more pictures and slides. Um, and then uh, hopefully we'll have some time for questions and answers because it really was a unique experience for us. And we would like to share that with you. So an open invitation. It's free of charge. Just come along and be part of that. That's on the 16th of August. To all the ladies and the women in our community, we thank God for you. Uh, National Women's Day was yesterday, and uh, we know that in the month of August, we try our best as a nation to be mindful of um, the very difficult situations that many of the women in our country have to live with on a daily basis. But as a Christian community, uh, we really 
pray that we are able to honor women in our communities. So may God bless you especially, and uh, have a good week, and happy study as you uh, research and read more around the book of Habakkuk. God bless you, friends. Bye-bye. Good afternoon, friends. Today we are going to head back to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk as we continue in this Bible study. If you're only joining us this week, um, I would encourage you to go back and have a listen to Habakkuk chapter 1. Um, it may just give you a little bit more context um, as to as to why we are doing this particular book. Um, it only has three chapters, so this is the second week in the series, and next week we will finish off with a lovely prayer um, that was given by Habakkuk. But for this week, we look at the middle chapter, chapter 2, um, and some interesting things that will come out of this for us. So um, I invite you just to be still for a moment as we pray together. So Lord, we commit this time to you. And as we learn from the scriptures, we pray as always, Lord, that um, it would not just be about head knowledge, but about how we could apply the truth of your word into our lives. We do believe that there is a message for us. Um, and this message can also change the world in which we live. So we offer you this time and may it be fruitful in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a quick recap uh, without going into too much detail. Uh, last week we looked at Habakkuk's two complaints and how the Lord replied to that. Habakkuk's general complaint is that there's wickedness and violence and injustice in the world, and it just seems that God is taking so long to respond to the cries of people. And so he puts this complaint to God in a very open, transparent, authentic way. He cries out to God. Uh, God's reply came, his first reply came in the form of saying, look, what I'm going to do is something that you would never believe even if I told you. And there he spoke about um, using the Babylonians to actually shake the, the Israelites back to their senses. Um, and you can read that in chapter 1. So then Habakkuk's complaint comes from verse 12 to verse 17 of chapter 1. And uh, then what happens, interestingly, as we move into chapter 2, is that instead of um, almost demanding a reply immediately, verse 1 of chapter 2 says this, I will climb up into my watchtower now and wait to see what the Lord will say to me and how he will answer my complaint. So it's a slightly different response from Habakkuk this time. We kind of get the impression that in the first chapter he's a little bit impatient, but now he positions himself um, in the watchtower with this whole idea or um, almost pose of expectation. And I think that this is a, a good lesson for us, um, and we could perhaps also model this in our own lives, and that is to position ourselves in, in a prayer, prayer kind of way, waiting for the Lord. Um, this, this verse is intriguing for us because it, it speaks of patience, and I'm not the most patient of people, so it really speaks to my heart today that Habakkuk, he had felt courageous enough to speak to God of his complaint, but then also he had slowly learned that God will reply when God is ready to reply. So he goes, um, and, and it's obviously very symbolic, the watchtower in the cities, uh, ancient cities were built so that 
the uh, guards would be able to go up in them and see when the enemy was coming. They could they could watch for miles and miles. Um, in this case, the watchtower represents um, a high ground where Habakkuk could be waiting, looking for the response that is going to come from the Lord. And um, I think we can also read into this that he expects the Lord to reply um, at some particular point. Um, and so he goes up with this, this expectation. So that's just a comment about, about verse 1. Then we come from verse 2 uh, to the end of chapter 2, which takes us to verse 20, where we have the Lord's answer or the Lord's second reply to Habakkuk's complaint. And um, this is how it begins. It's, uh, I'm either reading from the New Living or the NIV, as I often do, so I sometimes just chop and change between them. Um, but it starts off like this. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer in large, clear letters on a tablet so that a runner can read it and tell everyone else. But these things I plan won't happen right now. Um, slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Now, just on, on that note from verse 3 and 4, um, it's interesting that the Lord says to Habakkuk, write these things down on tablets. Um, obviously, there's an immediate response in, in, in our thinking to the tablets of the Ten Commandments. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Why? So that he would be able to pass it on to other people so they could read it for themselves and there would be a lasting memory of that moment. And we get the same idea of this, that God is saying to Habakkuk, look, what I'm about to tell you is so important that you must write it down clearly so that other people will be able to read it and hear it. Um, they won't be able to accuse you of just making this up in your mind, but that really this is so important that it needs to last for a long time. If you like, this is the social media of 600 BC. It's meant to be passed on. The message from God is write it down clearly and write it so that a runner can tell other people about it. The other word for runner is a herald, but God wants people to hear this particular message. Um, he also kind of adds a bit of a T and C into the thing where he says, look, this, this thing I'm telling you um, and this plan that will unfold is not going to happen right away, but it will happen slowly, steadily, surely is the, the words from the New Living Translation, nice um, connection with the S's in, in that verse, slowly, steadily, surely. The time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. It may seem slow, but wait patiently for God will uh, fulfill this. It will, will not be delayed. And there again, one can can dig around into that um, about how God is never delayed. Maybe in our understanding he's delayed, but God is always on time. It will be fulfilled in his good time. And this brings us back to the whole thing of learning patience. One of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. And so God teaches Habakkuk as well as the people of Israel, and that message comes through to us today, is that God's promises will be fulfilled. And maybe if we bring it back into the context of our own times where we see a lot of evil and wickedness and injustice and things happening in our world and we cry out to God and say, look, 
Do you not care? Don't you notice these things? We also must remember that that God is at work and God's justice will prevail. Um, and those wicked people who seem to be getting away with murder, literally, we, we believe in God's um, final justice and God's truth. Verse 4 um, says this, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by faith. Now, this verse could be talking about the Babylonians that he's just mentioned um, because part of, I think it's the um, verse 11, it says, they sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. So it gives us another insight to see that the Babylonians, although God will use them um, to, to wake the Israelites up through very drastic means, um, they are also very proud, meaning that they won't bow the knee to God. Of course, this can apply also to the people of Israel as well as to ourselves. This very language that he uses here, they trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, is, is a word for our own generation. When we trust in ourselves, we have no need of God. Um, and then ultimately that is the road to our own uh, destruction. This phrase, but the righteous will live by faith, is an interesting one because it actually has lived on all the way into the New Testament. Um, and I'm grateful for the commentary on this where they, they remind us that it's in Romans 1 verse 17 where Paul quotes it, the righteous will live by faith. He also quotes it in Galatians 3.11 and then the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 verse 38 also says the same thing. So it's a, it's a sentiment, it's a, um, a spiritual understanding that is carried through not just from the time of Habakkuk, Remember, 600 years, give or take, before Christ was born, but it goes all the way into the early church and, and beyond that. God then says to Habakkuk, Wealth is treacherous, and the arrogant are never at rest. They range far and wide with their mouths opened as wide as death, but they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have captured up many nations and peoples. But the time is coming when all their captors will taunt them, saying, You thieves, at last justice has caught up with you. Now you will get what you deserve for your oppression and extortion. So this message again comes through um, the scriptures about how greed and hunger and lust for material things will not satisfy. It will drive people to go to the lengths of the earth for, for these things and they will end up doing wicked things, but it will not satisfy. And in the end, uh, God will get his justice. Um, verse 7 says, Suddenly your debtors will rise up in anger. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. You have plundered many nations. Now they will plunder you. You murderers, you have defiled the countryside with violence and all the cities too. This could be speaking um, particularly about the Babylonians um, as they would go about their uh, their war and yeah, basically their destruction of other countries and other citizens. They would plunder nations. They would kill people. But in the end, this phrase, your debtors will rise up in anger, is, is also something um, that speaks into our own time. And I think 
Um, we see it in countries, it has happened in South Africa, but we see it um, sometimes in countries that have really faced a lot of um, corruption and and poor people have been downtrodden. We see that eventually there becomes this uprising and and it's like the debtors, people who feel that they've been robbed of either a voice or material things or political power, they rise up in anger to say, no more, we're not going to be stepped down upon anymore. Um, and there's been examples of this throughout the world. Um, and we see, sadly, sometimes the ramifications of that. What we happen, well, sorry, what we now see is from verse 6 onwards is we see that um, God speaks to Habakkuk about four different kind of woes. So verse 6 says, woe to him. And then verse 9 starts off, woe to him. Verse 12, woe to him. Verse 15, woe to him. And of course, there are also um, some woes in the New Testament. I think it's Jesus has seven woes in the in the Gospel of Matthew. But it's just a technique used um, to draw attention to the person who seems to be getting away with things that that God will have his revenge. So woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. So that's verse 6. Um, in the New Living Translation, it doesn't say woe, but in the NIV it does say woe. So it's a bit more, I think, clear that we have this, this breakdown of the four woes. Um, I'm not going to read through all of it just for the sake of time, but but as you read through it, you'll see a familiar pattern. It's it's essentially saying, you woe to you who've who've done all your things and got all your possessions by unjust gain or by bloodshed or by uh, by stealing things, because in the end God is going to have his revenge and uh, you're going to be found out. Um, so that's. That's in essence what these four woes say. Um, the last kind of uh, verse 16, last part of verse 16 is quite clear in this, which says, now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. So it's like, you know, all these things that you have done are now going to come back to haunt you. It'll come back to bite you, I think is how we we have that saying in our English language. It'll all come back to bite you. Now, now that is an answer to Habakkuk's question, how long must this go on for, Lord? So God doesn't give a definitive answer saying it's going to take one month, one year, ten years. He's just saying that in time, I have heard your pleas, and in time, all of this will be made right. Those who have gained a lot of material things um, and gained their wealth and, and all of their empires from unjust gains will be paid back what is their due. Then we move into verse 18 and 19 where it's a slight change, but it, it kind of brings us to similar points. He says, and I'm going to read it now from verse 18. What have you gained by worshipping all your man-made idols? So this is a definite comment to the other nations who would worship their own gods. How foolish to trust in something made by your own hands. 
What fools you are to believe such lies. So many of the, um, the nations that were surrounding Israel at this particular time had their own gods. I think we know that. And they came in different forms. And many people had, had created images or you know, carved idols out of them that would represent their gods. This was part of the big issue with Aaron when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, actually, is that Aaron um, and the followers had had been looking for something to to honor God or to represent God in some way, and that's when they made the golden calf, which of course God was very angry about. So this is another um, an, another word into the situation where God says to the people, you know, what fools you have been to believe such lies! How terrible it will be for you when you beg these lifeless idols to save you. You ask speechless stone images to tell you what to do. And then he asks the question, can an idol speak for God? Um, the, the new international version says, can it give guidance? So it just, he just shows the futility here of, of believing in gods that are really mute, that don't have the power of Yahweh, the almighty God. Even if you overlay them with gold or silver, they are still lifeless inside, is, is what the end of verse 19 insinuates. So he, this seems to be an overall message for the Babylonians who will think that they will be in power when they destroy um, the people of God. When, and we know that this actually does happen when they destroy the temple. They will think that they are almighty, that they have basically are the only a true tribe and nation that their gods are powerful but this is a word that that comes way before that's why it's a prophetic word to say you will look at all these wooden idols and things that you've created and you'll think that your power is coming from them but it's actually not it's not at all um, they are just mute they are lifeless and then he points to to himself because remember this is this is god speaking um, in the book of Habakkuk, it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So it gives a sense of where God is. And immediately we think of temple as in church, sanctuary, cathedral. And there, and there is that, um, you know, that thought. Remember the temple of Israel was, you know, was built before it was destroyed by the Babylonians. But the temple could also be in, in general about the whole world or the universe at large. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is present. And then the last verse says, so let the earth be silent before him. So that silence I'm imagining is that silence of deep awe and respect. And, and that silence is also, if you join a dot to the first verse, I'm just wondering here, could also be that people are silent. Habakkuk is silent in the watchtower, waiting for God to speak. So, so we in the temple and the space of God, we are, are in awe of God, um, but we are also waiting. You know, there's always this understanding that that sometimes even in our prayer lives, we we just natter away the whole time. We talk, 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 talk. And we are never silent. We never allow God the moment to speak into our lives. 
So, so this could just be a reminder to us, you know, God is in his holy temple, God is present, um, and in time the whole earth will just be quiet and silence before him um, and, and waiting in anticipation for the answer that will come from the Lord. So I think the, uh, the second chapter of Habakkuk um, makes a very a good continuation from the first chapter and from what we shared last week and obviously prepares us for Habakkuk's response, his prayer response, which we'll deal with next week. Um, I just, in closing, want to draw attention to verse 5 um, because there's a line here in the NIV that I think is is something that speaks into our modern times. Um, it says that the enemy is arrogant and never at rest. And, and I wonder if that's also not something that we are experiencing in the world around us. Uh, and maybe enemy seems like a harsh term to use, but for, for people who have not yet chosen to follow God, who have chosen their, their own lifestyles, their own idols, if you like, of career or material possessions or their own fame, or whatever that, that would be. But even as much as these things could puff us up and make us feel proud, they, they will never bring us to a place of peace. And that whole thing of rest is, is such a, a key thing in the biblical writings. Um, it's Paul also who, who speaks about the peace that passes all understanding. Um, and, and there is this restlessness in the world around us where people are throwing out all kinds of answers and opinions on things. But for those of us who are seeking to follow Christ, we know, and this is where we've got to kind of lean into, that our true peace, our true rest, um, the quietening of our spirits and our hearts comes from being in the presence of God, knowing that Almighty God is with us, but also that he hears us and that God will respond to our prayers when the time is right. And so I, I leave that with you, friends. Um, thank you also to those of you who are listening who were able to pop into the Camino presentation last night. Um, it was wonderful just to be able to share. If perhaps you wanted to be there and you missed it, um, I wanted to say to you that the website that I created, a little travel log blog thing called uh, travelingeden.com, has a lot of those photographs and stories on it. Um, and you can kind of read them and look at the pictures in your own time. So yeah, I, I point you to that. So it's uh, www.travelingeden.com um, and then you'll find some of those stories there. So friends, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Let us pray together and then you can carry on. So Lord God, as we bring to you the scriptures today, we thank you for the reminders that come to us from the second chapter of Habakkuk that, that we need to be patient, Lord. We can't run out ahead of you. That when we ask questions and we have deep longings, that you do hear them, but Lord, that you are um, answering them in your own time. And so, Father, teach us patience. We pray that our rest, our true rest, would come from you and in you, and um, that we would remember that sometimes in your presence, all we need to do is to be silent, to be in awe of you, and that is, that is enough. That is enough. 
So we thank you, Lord, that uh, you are with us. For anybody who is going through difficult times, we pray that we would not lose hope, but be able to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.